You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. In the beginning, from the wisdom of the poet and Unitarian Universalist minister Nancy Schaefer, Kate is teaching the kids about dinosaur air. That air you breathe 
that air you have inside you every time you take a breath, that's dinosaur air, she says. Dinosaurs breathed it. The kids' eyes are very wide. They take deep gulps of air just to have more dinosaur air inside them. The air we have is all the air we will ever have, Kate says. So we have to take good care of it. The kids gulp less. Consider the air already inside. Kate tells more. Actually, she says, we're all cousins. The kids look at each other, disbelieving, believing. You? We? All of us, Kate says, way, way back began as cousins. Way back in the beginning. The kids whoop, clap each other on the back. For the rest of the day, they savor air and call each other Cousin. I'm Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout. It's a pleasure to welcome you and welcome you back uh, to First Universalist Church of Minneapolis here. Whether you're joining us uh, right in this room or from another, whether you are new and returning, it makes a difference that you are here in community with us. I'm joined uh, in leading uh, our service by uh, Franco and Reverend Ashley and Lori and John and Jen and ushers and greeters and chalice lighters. Marin is here. And all of you together, we make the voice that makes our welcome known. And I'm very happy to welcome uh, our special guest uh, musician, uh, a composer, Michael Tangen a creator of Stolas, an eclectic music expression, an online meditating community. Beneath all of the externals of music composition and production and performance, Stolas is deeply rooted in Stoicism, personal reflection and practicing mindfulness. And these values find their way into the music and other outward expressions. Please join me in giving Michael a warm welcome. Welcome. First Universalist is a multi-generational congregation where we connect to ageless wisdom, our ever-evolving religious tradition. We listen for the call of love and build meaningful relationships and community. Our worship, spiritual practices, and rituals unify us. They challenge our assumptions. They provide comfort and connect us to what is holy. First Universalist is a faith community that acts with humility, bravery, and compassion to create a racially just and sustainable world. And we make room for our whole selves in this space including our bodies, which sometimes get a little wiggly. So if you need to move or you want to stay still, both of those options are free to you in this space. It's a big space, so feel free to use it to get up and walk around as you need to move, to let yourself and your young ones roam, to come and go if you need. 
We want you and your whole self to feel welcome in this space. And for now, as we begin, I invite you into a practice of a bit of stillness, a practice that we have used to ground ourselves and begin our services together with three on-purpose breaths. So, in the way that you do, I invite you to settle yourself more deeply into the earth, to find your feet on the ground, to find yourself in your body, and let us breathe together, three breaths together as one, in and out, in and out. In and out. And as we find ourselves more deeply connected to the earth around us and beneath us, let us remember that we are merely the current stewards of this land and that the work we do now reflects upon the ancestors and the native peoples whose stories began here. We owe ourselves and our ancestors and our future the good work of our hearts today, the good work of love and justice. And now, I invite you to join me in lighting the chalice. Marin is going to light the chalice to lead us, and I invite you to join in the words we use for lighting the chalice, our covenant. Together, let us say, love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. It's a blessing that you're here today. Welcome. I am very pleased to be able to share this story with you this morning. Uh, I'm mixed race. I'm half Mexican and half European descent. So I mixed this myth out of multiple myths, and I hope to do all their ancient storytellers' honor in sharing it with you this morning. Once upon a time, there was nothing. And also there was no time to be once upon, but just wait. Uh, out of the darkness and swirling heat came Kilatsli, whose name means she who arrives on the sweet grass. And she stepped out of the darkness onto the riverbank. And as she did so, the river and the grass and Kilatsli herself all came into being at the very same time. She was pretty proud of herself. And Kilatsli realized that she could create anything she could think of. So while she floated down the river, she was thinking of plants and animals. And poof, 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 there they came, just as quickly as she could imagine them. But after a little while, she started to get lonely. She, she wanted someone she could talk to, someone a little more like her. So she created a son whom she called Miho. 
And for those who don't know, mijo is a Spanish term of endearment. It's like, my sweet boy. It's, it's very, very affectionate. So Kilatsli and Miho, now they traveled down the river together and they thought up even more creative things. Colorful tree frogs and toucans and quinoa and Miho's personal favorite, the llama. <laughs> he thought it was very funny looking. Got a kick out of it. But after a little while, they, they were trying to figure out what color to make this very important kind of food called maize, which many of us would know by the name corn. And they couldn't decide. Miho tried yellow, and then Kilatsu was like, no, what about red? And Miho was like, no, 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 what about blue? And back and forth, they popped these kernels until it came out all speckled and mixed yellow and red and blue. And they were really mad at each other. They thought they had ruined the corn, the maize. And they neither would apologize, neither of them would forgive. And so they just stayed angry. They just kept swirling around this spot in the river until the river split. And Miho went down one side of the river, and Kilatsli went down another. And after a little while, Kilatsli's anger faded, and she was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have lost my temper at my sweet boy, at my Miho. So she decided she wanted to reconnect with him and go back. And she tried. She tried to go back up the river, but she realized that on the river of time, you can't go back. And she realized she, may have, she might have lost him forever and that the last thing she said to him was words of anger. And she felt this deep regret and sorrow. And she let out a big wail. You know, when you just have so much sadness in your body, you just have to let it out. I wonder if all of us together could make a wail big enough that Kilatsli would know that she's not alone in that feeling. So on the count of three, I want to invite you to Think of something really sad that's happened to you and feel where it lives in your body and I want you to let it out together, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Oh, yes. So Kilatsli, this goddess of creation, her whale was just as big as that. And all the leaves on the trees changed colors and they fell from their branches. And Kilatsli floated down the river, surrounded by empty trees and quiet. And she felt so sad, she missed her miho. And as she floated, she realized that the river was still holding her. The river. The river still connected them. Even if they weren't together, even if they weren't right next to each other, the river still connected them. So she, you know, she's a goddess of creation. She, she thought up all her magic, all her fond feelings for Miho, all of her memories from before their fight, and she shone her magic, her love, up her side of the river and back down Miho's side. And when it reached him, it, it was all sparkly, just like in a Disney movie, and he, he spun around and he transformed. He transformed into the god of stars, and he jumped out of the river and into the sky. And he took some of the river with him. And when Kilatsli looked up, she saw this big streak of speckly light. And it had become what we now know as the Milky Way. And she knew it was Miho and that he had become something she never could have imagined. He had become the god of stars. And she felt herself connected to everything that they'd created together, everything that the river touched, and now everything that Miho could touch in the, in the vast galaxy out in space. And she was so proud and so full of joy that she started laughing. She was so full of love. And of all around her, spring began to blossom for the very first time.
Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate it. I want to take a moment to lead us in a brief time of meditation. Don't worry, you don't have to be a meditation expert. You don't have to be a guru. You don't have to have experience in this. We're going to do just something really simple. We're going to spend a couple minutes meditating on our connection to the universe. Just simply be willing to quiet down your mind and join me in focusing on these words from Marcus Aurelius. So I would just love to invite you to close your eyes and let's just pause for a moment and take some deep breaths together. In through your nose. And exhale. Just let the tension, just let go of it. Again, through your nose, in. Quiet your mind, relax your body. And as I read these words from Marcus Aurelius from his book of meditations, I want you to envision yourself embodying these words as if it's coming from yourself. View your connection to the vastness of the universe and allow your imagination to deeply personalize these words. That which has died does not fall out of the universe. It stays here. It also changes here and is dissolved into its proper parts, which are elements of the universe and of yourself. I am composed of the formal and the material, and neither of them will perish into non-existence, as neither of them came into existence out of non-existence. Every part of me then will be reduced by change into some part of the universe and that again will change into another part of the universe and so on and forever and by consequence of such a change i too exist and those who begot me and so on forever in the other direction. Let's just let that sit for a minute. Your connection to the past, to the present. Your body is being a part of a vast universe. The stuff of stars.
transcends our meditation. I'd love if you could join me for our body prayer that we've been doing this month. So I invite you to rise in all the ways that we do rise. And if you've been here, um, you'll basically just repeat after me. But this time, this week, we're going to use the word oneness instead of ancestors or what was the one last week? Wholeness, which is also very good. Um, so this week, it's going to be oneness. And I may need Ashley's help to remember the directions exactly, but... Okay, is it oneness above me? Great. Oneness below me. Oneness behind me. Oneness before me. Oneness around me. Oneness within me. Listen more often to things than to bees. Listen more often to things than to be. Tis the ancestor's breath when the fire's voice is heard. Tis the ancestor's breath in the voice of the waters. Ah, whoosh, sigh, whoosh. Those who have died have never, never left. The dead are not under the earth. They are with us in the trees. They are with us in the grass. They are with us in the home. They are with us in the heart. The dead have a pact with the living. Listen more often to things than to beings. Listen more often to things than to beings. To the ancestor's breath when the fire's voice is heard. To the ancestor's breath in the voice of the waters. There is a window original to my house in my living room that is over a hundred years old. The glass is literally wrinkled. The sunlight comes through it and hits my face in a strangely dappled way. Since my mom died last November, I have spent a lot of time putting myself in the way of this window's light. I was sitting in front of it when I found out about my mom's first massive seizure in the hospital. We knew once those started that the end was nearing after years and years of illness. And yet, I felt her love so strongly in that moment through those beams of dappled sunlight falling exactly on me. I have practiced receiving the sun's light as love this past year, as one of the ways the vastness of the universe offers my mom's persistent love back to me. Recently, I prayed, when the sunlight is low and warm, 
slanted even, that's when I feel you, Mama. Your light bent to sniff your grandbaby's head this afternoon, almost. I felt you warm on my shoulder. Teach me how to know you now, okay? Those of us with bodies still need to learn how to talk with the light. Beloveds, you who are gathered here today, the sunlight, as brilliant as love, is something we can count on today. It's even warm today. It can hold us and mold us. Let us rest in its presence now, in a moment of silence to hold collectively all of our joys, all of our griefs, our praise, and our pain. May each of them and each of us feel the sunlight as the persistent presence of love. And we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, the truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Amen. Speaking of the shape of justice, we bend with our lives side with love's UU The Vote campaign is a national program mobilizing Unitarian Universalists across the country to get out the vote, to fight for our values at the polls and defend our democracy 
This fall, in partnership with dozens of grassroots and frontline partner organizations, thousands of UU volunteers in hundreds of congregations have been writing letters and postcards, organizing for critical ballot initiatives, phone and text banking voters, canvassing their communities, and getting trained poll as poll workers and election defenders. This congregation is one of hundreds around the country who are pitching in to help meet the goal of contacting four million voters before election day. And together, we have written all of these letters that are right in front here. If you're not familiar with the UU The Vote campaign, or if you're ready to throw down in the last few weeks before the election, on November 8th, head down to the UU The Vote table in the Fellowship Hall after the service, or visit uuthevote.org for more opportunities to get involved. The Reverend Ashley Horan, who is one of our affiliated community ministers here, serves as the director of the National Side with Love team that runs UU The Vote. She wasn't able to be here for this morning's service, but she sent a blessing to us as we prepare to mail these letters. As I read her words aloud, I invite you to join me in extending your hands, your hearts, and your energy towards these boxes. So let's warm up our blessing hands here and reach out towards these boxes. Spirit of interconnection and community, we call your blessing upon these letters today. May they carry with them the commitments and values of their writers, hope for building the community of true and embodied democracy in which all of us are free and thriving. May these letters remind their recipients of the power we have to shape the fate of this nation moving us toward more justice, more freedom, and more dignity for all of us. And may we all be agents of accountability and change, bringing into being the beloved community of all the people, by all the people, for all the people. Blessed be, Ashe, and Amen. Thank you. Now, friends, and ask. Our blessings are wonderful, but they will only get these letters so far because it turns out the US Postal Service also requires stamps. <laughs> so we are asking you to give generously this morning to help us pay for postage for these letters and help fund UU the vote in these last critical weeks. Your contributions, contributions will get a postmark on our own letters and help you use in critical spots all over the country, show up in their communities at the polls and wherever our values and our bodies are needed to support the sacred practice of democracy. Of course, if this is a time when you need to muster the courage to receive, please let us know so we can offer the congregation support. And if this is a time when you can give, I invite you to do that following the instructions on the screens or giving as the ushers come by to pass the baskets.
for all that we have had the courage to receive, for all we have found the courage to give, may we be truly grateful. Perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of our human. 
Thank you, Michael, for sharing that reading, that wonderful quote by Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is one of my absolute faves. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Lori Stevens, and I am the Cummins Ministerial Intern for this church year. Uh, this is my first time preaching with you all, so I thought that I'd use the opportunity to share a little bit about me. Good morning. Um, and why this topic of space about how space is something we can count on, why that really is such a key part of my spirituality and how I actually ended up a Unitarian Universalist. And uh, the reason that I think it's important for us to share our stories, even from the pulpit, is because the first of our six sources is the direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder. So I'm excited to share my direct experience, and I really look forward to hearing from you all and would love to talk with you after the service about your direct experiences of wonder and mystery. So uh, I'm from Tennessee originally, and like I mentioned earlier, I'm mixed race, Mexican and white. And what that, has, uh, what that one has meant is that I don't really fit in my family. I'm like too white for one side, I'm too brown for the other. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a part of the family at all in some ways. I'm also bisexual, and some of you may know that some straight people think bisexuals are sneaky. Some gay people, some gay people think that bisexuals are greedy, and that's if they can agree that we exist at all, so. <laughs> We're just floating around out here between, right? Neither straight nor gay. It's pretty tricky. I Really young, I realized that I identify as an atheist, so no religious community for me for most of my life. And on top of being mixed race and bisexual and an atheist, I also happen to be that most hated and feared of creatures, an intelligent woman. <laughs> um <laughs> So for most of my life, I felt really disconnected from community, from family, from everywhere I was supposed to fit, I never really fit. And I kind of got used to it, I kind of got good at it. I decided, you know what, if solitude has chosen me, I'll choose solitude. So when I was 25, I bought an RV and I started traveling around the country, just wandering, just exploring, working weird, odd jobs, and just living my life. I certainly didn't go out looking for connection, but while I was out there, connection found me. Uh, wow. Um, I was minding my own business at a gas station on my way home from work, just filling up my big red truck that I used to carry my RV, leaning up against it while it filled with gas. And I was reading an article on my phone about how prejudice, while of course it hurts the person that is being, you know, is receiving the prejudice, it also hurts the person who's expressing that prejudice because they've fallen for the, for the illusion that if only they were a little bit different, they too would be somehow less human. And so it, it makes it a riskier game being human. It means that if you're not one way or another, somehow you're not worthy. And that's up in their head and that's hurtful. Even to think, even to think it's someone else's problem, it's still hurtful. And um, I don't know if it was the article, I don't know if it was the fumes from the gasoline or what, but I, out of nowhere, minding my business, totally sober, had a spiritual experience. It was completely wild. It wasn't visions, I didn't see Joan of Arc or anything like that. I just felt, I, I, I knew, but more than that, I felt 
connected with everything all of a sudden. Simple as that. I felt myself to be part of the universe, which for someone who has been disconnected and alienated and alone was miraculous. And this lasted for hours, me realizing like every particle of my body has been part of other things as long as the universe has existed, changing forms and recombining, that everything I eat becomes part of me and then eventually parts of me will be other things, that nothing is ever really created or destroyed, just changed, and, but all connected. So that lasted for a few hours, and then I was kind of, you know, I woke up the next morning, I was like, that was weird. Kind of went about my business. But I couldn't quite shake this new certainty that I was part of things after all. I wasn't disconnected. I ended up back in Nashville, where my father's family lives, and I wandered into the Unitarian Universalist Church there, and they were so warm and welcoming, and they allowed me to ask these questions that as an atheist, I thought I wasn't allowed to be curious about. And it turns out that me feeling connected with everything wasn't special or different, that a lot of people feel this. Some of you have probably felt this. And a lot of religious people have written about these feelings of oneness, of connectedness with the divine, with something greater than yourself, with community, with another person. It's a holy, sacred feeling. And I certainly was not the first or only person to, to, to touch that. And here I am. I'm in my last year of training to become a UU minister because I just, I followed that feeling. And uh, so, so what this has meant for me is that if I'm connected with everything, then even, even when I feel most disconnected, like I did again during the pandemic, and which I'm sure many of you have also felt in recent years, disconnected, lost, alone, weird, you know, even if you don't, have the same identity experience as me. We've all felt we've all felt these things at one point or another in school or at work sometimes that we're just something's not a good fit. Somehow we're not connected. But remembering that there is a oneness to the universe and we're a part of it means that we're actually never really disconnected. We we aren't. No matter no matter how the world tries to make us feel we're small, and that's okay, because that means we can feel awe and wonder at the beautiful universe, but we're not nothing. We're not no one. We're not disconnected, and that's so important. That's, that brings so much solace when you're feeling lost, and that, that means a lot. And on top of that, it reminds me that when, if I'm connected with everything, that means I have a responsibility to how things are going. <laughs> <laughs> and it means that I can't ignore the things that are wrong with the world. I can't go off in my RV and mind my business. I have to be engaged. And I have to be engaged in particular ways. And this is what it's taken me a few years to figure out, is that if I'm going to be engaged, I want to do so in a way that's going to reduce harm without causing any more of it. And I learned about this from really amazing um, folks like Henry David Thoreau, who wrote Civil Disobedience, who was a Unitarian, and then a gentleman named Gandhi, who you may have heard of, read that and adapted it and overthrew the British colonialists in India. And then 
uh, Christian mystic American named Howard Thurman, a, a black mystic. He met Gandhi and passed that along to people like James Lawson in Nashville, who trained the students who did the lunch counter sit-ins. And all of them had this deep conviction, this faith-based determination of nonviolent resistance. Active, disruptive, won't take shit, nonviolent resistance that won't harm anyone else, right? Because we're connected and I see your inherent worth and dignity and even if you're being a real jerk, I'm not going to hurt you. But I also will not allow you to hurt other people. And that that is a very powerful dynamic. There's something sacred happening there. So remembering space for me, when I'm feeling lost or confused, Remembering space helps me feel connected and it helps me feel motivated to do stuff and to do stuff in a certain way. So I encourage you to cultivate your relationship with space. It's not just for billionaires. No, no. They're taking it, but it's not theirs. It's everybody's. Everyone's connected. Every time you look at the moon, every time you feel the sun, you're interacting with space. Whoa. So cultivate your relationship. Cultivate your relationship with how your ancestors, including your human ancestors, all go back in an eternal ancestry, all the way back, all the way back to the Big Bang. When people are like, we're stardust. No, but really. <laughs> so I invite you to cultivate your relationship with space. And I want to bless you that may you always remember that you are part of the great oneness of the universe connected through eternity with all that is. May it be so. Friends, I invite you to sing back into the world. The hymn is 343, a fire mist and a planet. I welcome you to rise in all the ways that we do rise and let's sing together. and a planet, a crystal and a cell, a starfish and a scion, and caves where ancients dwelt, with a sense of law and beauty, a face turned from the sod, some call it evolution. And others call it God. On the far horizon, the infinite tender sky, the ripe rich tints of cornfields and wild geese sailing high, and over high and lowland. The charm of golden rod, some people call it autumn, and others call it God. 
Like tides on crescent sea beach When moons are new and thin Into our hearts high earnings Come welling surging in Come from a mystic ocean Whose rim no foot has trod Some people call it longing And others call it God A century long and frozen A mother start for brood And Socrates dread hemlock and Jesus on the road And millions who though nameless The straight hard pathway trod Come call it consecration And others call it taught me the courage of stars before you left. How light carries on endlessly even after death. With sureness of breath you explained the infinite how rare and beautiful it is to even exist to even exist may you know yourself connected always 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 and may you go forth in peace Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.